Welcome to another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Tuttle, and I'm joined alongside the regular crew. We've got a lot on deck today. We'll actually be starting with some basketball news. Then we're going to touch on ASU football following that 38-27 win against Washington State. First, though, as always, let's go ahead and welcome everybody in. Jake Seymour on with us, as always. Jake, how are you doing today? Doing good, Ethan. Ready to talk some uh, ASU football and a little bit of basketball to start off the show. Absolutely. Noah Furtado also on with us. Noah, anything new with you? Nothing new. Still here. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm hanging in there, getting through the week. We also got Chris Cartman with us as well. Chris, what's new with you? Yeah, starting to feel better. Um, watching some basketball, you know, watching the NBA. It's got this tournament going on in the middle of a. It's like a... It's like a uh, taco inside a burrito when you go to Taco Bell or something like that. I don't know. It's just uh, just going with the flow. Just going with the flow. Well, let's go ahead and get right into some uh, Sun Devil hoops. I'm going to kick it right back to you. Uh, learned earlier that six foot eight Amir Ali committed to ASU over several other Blue Blood programs, uh, such as Kansas and Kentucky. He was 60th ranked by 247 Sports. And he was also the number 17th ranked small forward in his class. Also, the Sun Devils uh, had Jane Smith commit, uh, and he was actually their first commitment. So, uh, Chris, what have you seen from that, and uh, what can that do to uh, help bolster this roster for the Sun Devils in the future? That's a big get. Amir Ali, um, as you said there, he's uh, top 15, top 17, whatever, uh, small forward in the country in this class. I actually – well, I haven't seen him in person. Going to go check him out. He plays locally at a prep school. Um, it was in Texas uh, prior to this. He's moved around a little bit, but the uh, I, I think he might be underrated. Actually, like when I watched his film, I'm like, okay, this this guy's got some some serious uh, skill upside. He's six eight, and he shoots the ball at a very high level for being a big wing. Uh, but also puts it on the floor. Somebody you can uh, run off screens. You can do ISO stuff for him, all kinds of PNR situations because he handles it pretty well. Uh, he's got like NBA upside as a three and D guy at a minimum for sure. And like, he kind of remind me of uh, Kevin Durant. I, and I, I talked to him today after he committed and for a while and he said that uh, that's who people really kind of compare him to. He, 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 he loved Tracy McGrady. Growing up, a six eight guy, you know, who's like a, a utility player, basically played three four positions. So, um, his, Ali's uncle Yusuf Ali was the newest addition to Bobby Hurley's staff as an assistant coach. This is something that Bobby Hurley has done uh, pretty regularly. Is uh, throughout his time at ASU, is at a coach, somebody who who you know, legitimately as a coach, but add him to your roster, to your staff in order to get a player, um, a high level player out of it. Um, he, he's, he's done that successfully. Sometimes he's also tried it, uh, other times. Um, and, uh, there's been this expansion of the basketball roster, um, uh, quite a bit with, um, you know, assistant strength coaches and operations guys and, uh analytics and stuff like that so they they the staff has really kind of developed here uh, of late and um this is a guy in the 2024 class who uh figures to be a pretty 
high impact player as ASU joins the Big 12. So that's that's major. And then uh, James Smith is he's a six eleven center from Chicago. Uh, plays for Mac Irvin Fire. Uh, the the head coach of Mac Irvin is the brother of one of ASU's assistant coaches. So they're keeping it all in the family here with this 2024 recruiting class. Um, Jane Smith, he's ranked um, 225 and 39, 39 at the center position. So not nearly as high level of a guy, but he's got size, um, some mobility, two-way player, can run, runs the floor uh, reasonably okay. Um, you know, big body that I, I would call more of a developmental center uh, type of a prospect. Um, and even though, of course, the transfer portal is a really big deal, ASU's largely uh, been rebuilt via the via transfers uh, with this current roster, even last year's roster. Uh, still, the the high school recruiting is is meaningfully important. You need guys that you want to space your classes and have uh, uh, you can develop and and give you some some harmony uh, with your roster and not need to to add seven, eight, nine players every year. Like that really isn't the ideal. You'd be much better off if it's more like a five or six guys, maybe, uh, you know, at the most on a, on a, on a turnover situation so that you always have another five, six, seven guys that are coming back and you're rebuilding and you understand what you're trying to do. So um, I would say that this is a very quality, uh, um two-man class at this point and we'll see if they add anybody else between now and the spring yeah asu hoops getting closer and closer a lot of uh exciting stuff that we just talked about right there and i know i'm getting the itch for some basketball to come around so hopefully uh that little conversation could scratch that itch for some of the uh listeners out there let's go ahead and get into this football game though guys we got to recap that and just starting off want to get your guys' thoughts on the biggest factors, the main factors in ASU's win uh, over the Washington State Cougars this past Saturday. Uh, Jake, let's go ahead and start it off with you. Yeah, to me, it comes down to the rushing attack for ASU. Um, Skadaboo and Brooks put together an attack that was, you know, once again, after last week when Brooks returned, they set a season high in rushing yards. This year, or excuse me, this game, they completely smashed it with 235. So, I think you're starting to see how much of a relief Brooks can provide in the running back room to Scadaboo, who's been asked to do pretty much everything from punting to throwing to rushing. Like he's kind of a jack of all trades. That's how he's been used. And he's seen a lot of uh, relief uh, from both. I believe he, had, he didn't see a um, snap until later on in the first quarter, which has kind of been unheard of earlier uh, in, in weeks. So and then when you're able to have that rushing attack, you're able to set up, of course, the passing game. And, you know, we'll kind of get into that a little bit later about how they're using their rushing attack and the passing game and how some players are able to work in both capacities. But when you're having that rushing attack and you're consistently, uh, they average, uh, you know, six yards um, per, per attempt, that, that that's really good. So I think when you look at this team and you see the rushing attack finally sort of come together, it's, it's a perfect example of what this offense um, could be. Um, especially as of late with the with the run game struggles. Jake, you can talk about that stuff right now. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So basically, what Dillingham his scheme usually what it is is they, he likes to spread out his players. So his skill position players will play near the numbers, and he's going to get his explosives through the air like that, and of course through the running game eventually as well. 
But what happened was with ASU, they had those run game struggles, partially um, due to the injuries to Brooks and, of course, the offensive line injuries. And then they lost a shot. So all of a sudden, that scheme that relied on getting those explosive plays wasn't what it was meant to be and what Dillingham kind of envisioned for the season. So he was forced to kind of, you know, transition and pivot in the middle of the season. And you start to see this in a week-by-week basis, kind of building upon it. Starting off, um, you know, he took over play calling duties after Fresno State. And then he said in his post-game press conference that after USC was his decision to kind of transition into this new mold. And basically what he's doing is he's taking his skill position players, putting them inside the numbers, and allowing them to help block to set up the run. But also in the same sense, because they're inside the numbers, it's an easier throw for the quarterback uh, on seam routes to get some of those explosive plays. So perfect example of this is you'll notice they were on the toss sweep to Scadaboo on the outside. Sometimes they will run that and Scadaboo will get onto the outside and the receivers can help set the edge on the perimeter to help him get onto the outside. And of course, so that 66 yarder he had against Washington state, but going back a week earlier, they had a very similar play with Badger where Badger ran an exit motion and came across in the backfield as the ball snapped and he ran a seam route up the middle. And once he ran the seam route, Borke just hit him for, it was a 30 yard, um, 30 yard plus reception. And he got an explosive play like that. So this whole scheme, you see a lot at the NFL level, uh, the dolphins run it, Niners chiefs, they all run it, but, uh, the Rams also are kind of in this new mold of offense. And that's kind of relevant for ASU because Rashad Samples was that LA last season as uh, he was the uh, running backs coach. So kind of is a little bit of background there. Sure. That helped out Dillingham uh, when it came to tra- fully transitioning into the scheme. And I think against Washington state, you kind of saw that on a full effect and uh, kind of the potential, what that can be uh, for the rest of the season. No, what uh, stuck out to you? The third down uh, statistics, ASU for the game was 8 of 11, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, They were dead last in the Pac-12 in third down conversion percentage uh, before the game and um, afterward had had bumped them up to to being tied in last place. So their percentage is still really down for the season. Kind of tells you how much of a step forward they took offensively to be able to convert in those crucial situations. And then you look on the other side, um, ASU's defense was actually able to, to get off the field in the second half. Washington state was two of five on third downs in the first two quarters. And then O of seven in the final two quarters. That's, that's massive, right? So you, you know, the defense gets off the field, ASU puts together some long touchdown drives. Um, you look at all of their touchdown drives, one, two, Three, uh, three of their five touchdown drives lasted uh, over four minutes. One of them was six minutes and 34 seconds to open up the second half. I mean, that sets a tone. And they were able to to really take uh, some strides on the offensive side of the ball. And the defense sort of eventually came along despite being uh, atypically average uh, in, the, in the first, you know, early going is, is how I would say it. Um, the perimeter blocking obviously is, is a huge thing. I think it's worth noting that Washington state's, uh, defensive interior, uh, you know, was expectedly poor. Uh, we had previewed that heading into the matchup. You saw someone like Sean Na'a at left guard, be able to actually get some good push, um, on, on different run blocking schemes. Lee Faltanu, um, also was, was a strong performer. 
on Saturday. And, uh, and so they were able to actually work to the next level on, on some of these run plays, allowing Scadaboo to Carlos Brooks, who are, who are running the ball really strong right now with, with um, like, they're just running the ball really hard. And that had lended itself to a lot of success on uh Saturday. Chris, bring you into the discussion here. Uh, your thoughts on kind of what jumped out to you in, in ASU's win. Several uh, major factors, I would say. Number one, which I you know, Noah started to touch on it there a little bit at the end, but I think it was the number one thing in the game, which was just how hard that they played uh, on offense. What we've seen consistently throughout the season is defense plays really hard, offense plays not hard enough, and then uh, is essentially uh, deals with Kane Dillingham, you know, trying to figure out ways to motivate and encourage them to play harder and be more physical. And, and in this game, I thought it was the first time that the offense matched the intensity and the physicality of, of ASU's defense. And you see that that matters. There were uh, a lot of yards after uh, the catch by Elijah Badger, second effort plays, you know, making guys miss. Um, a lot of great blocking that was extra effort, uh, supreme uh, effort from some of these guys. You know, uh, Jalen Jalen Conyers, he looked like he was frustrated and upset, shaking guys off, yelling after he has his, the big gain. Um, you know, you had a bunch of guys that were blocking at a very high level, including the receivers. And that ties into the next point, which is these uh, cut splits, the condensed formations that Jake was talking about when he's saying bringing guys receivers inside the numbers is even tighter than that. It's guys that are very closely uh, offset from the, the, the offensive line. And you have the ability to get numbers added uh, runs. So you're now, even though like if, if we back up a second, okay. Kenny Dillingham likes to be able to run against lighter boxes. The lighter boxes, five, six man boxes are generated by the potency that you can stretch the field laterally and vertically in your passing game. Okay. But when you don't have very good offensive line protections that are reliable and your quarterback isn't somebody who has the arm talent to throw the ball all over the yard, you have to then start to consider what, what can we do differently? That's going to enable us to be more successful. We're not running the ball well, and we're not able to access a lot of places on the field throwing the ball, and we don't even have the protections to be able to do that. So that is why those things combined were why ASU was struggling so much offensively in the first half of the season. And so what they've done over the last few weeks is they've evolved to something that is different than what he's done throughout his career, which is the Mike Norvell style of offense, to where now they're getting into these very uh, cut splits that Jake talked about being sort of very popular with a lot of the more potent NFL teams right now. Um, the Rams were sort of a pioneer of that with Sean McVay, uh, in, in recent years and, uh, the dolphins with, with Mike McDaniel have been fantastic with it, the 49ers. And what you're doing is you're, 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 uh, getting extra bodies to run the football behind to, to win, to capture the edge, especially like we saw in that Scadaboo 66 yard run. Uh, that was like a, a, a toss back. Um, and you have receivers and tight ends that are now blocking much more 
in an engaged, active way. They understand their importance on the play and they're buying into what they're doing. They're, they're, they're uh, matching the intensity of, of the defensive players. And then you get these exit motions, which guys, we talked about this like a long time ago on the podcast and I talked about it on the message board quite a bit that ASU should probably look to get into some of these things uh, due to their talent. And uh, it's not easy, though, to do over the course of the middle of the season as you're playing games. I think during the bye, they really expanded upon it. They showed a lot of this stuff against Washington, although they bogged down when they got into positive territory and weren't able to convert some of these drives into scores. First half of this game, they scored three out of four times. Other time was a missed field goal, I think, right? And then they continue to have a very good performance. And then the third part of this was uh, Trenton Morgay. He had a very good game. It was by far the best quarterback performance of the season for ASU. He was he was very accurate. He made very he made very good decisions consistently. Um, and I thought that it was just a, a quality performance. That's what happens when all of these things come together. I uh, predicted, as you guys know, that ASU was going to score 30 points for the first time this season and win the game. None of you guys predicted ASU was going to win this game. So I'm just going to throw that out there right now, uh, which I also kind of understand because of they've found ways to lose pretty consistently. It's just that, as I said on the preview podcast, when you look at Washington ASU side by side closely and you study football for a living, what you see is, oh, okay, actually Washington State's not any better than ASU. They might even be worse probably outside of the quarterback position, okay? And Cam Ward was excellent in the first half, but then in the second half, uh, ASU did a better job and he wasn't quite as uh, as brilliant. And uh, that was where ASU's defense was able to kind of help finish off the game. You put all those things together and you got uh, Dillingham's first Pac-12 win in, as a head coach. Yeah, the win, clear offensive improvement. Uh, Jake, you just hit on some of that uh, cut split stuff with the NFL, uh, next level uh, offensive play style and such. Uh, and then Chris also hinted at the physicality. But out of all of that, kind of what are the biggest things that have led to this improvement on the offense? And let's go ahead and go back to Jake. I think the thing that kind of leads to all this is taking accountability and you know, we talked to players uh, this this past week just about the leadership after Dillian called them out. And a lot of it just comes down to, and it's kind of a cliche thing, cliche thing to say in football, but I just feel like so much of this comes down to, do you want it enough? Do you want to play football? Do you want to win? Do you want to do all the little stuff to make sure you're successful? And it seemed like this week after Dillingham called him off on the bus, um, incident and with the trash, all oh, the floors, the offensive bus, and a week of practice that they were just a little bit more focused in and dialed in and they were able to execute their plays. And, you know, Dillingham said earlier in the week that all that stuff will eventually take care of itself once the program and the culture is set. And that'll be probably more of, you know, down the road, obviously not in year one where you're trying to establish that, but because it's year one and you're establishing that criteria, it needs to be kind of honed in on and really discussed as a group because it needs to be made of importance so it can become just the standard. And that's the one thing ASU said all season. You go back to the preseason and pre in training camp, um, Rashad Samples said the same thing. It's about setting the standard. They want the receivers to be physical, establishing the edge and blocking. And it took them probably, the, you know, middle past the midpoint of the season to finally get there. And obviously there's been a bunch of circumstances that kind of weighed in on this season. But I think this was the first game when you look at ASU that they took accountability and they really dialed in and started executing. I mean, they almost scored 40 points. 
that's something that they were at risk of not scoring a 30 point game since 1965. So I think when you look at it like this, it just comes down to accountability and executing for ASU's offense. No. They did really well to encapsulate a lot of the stuff that I was thinking about. I think there's the one thing is that Dillingham said in his press conference today was no matter if they won or lost on Saturday, it's about the process. He would be talking about the same things, right? He talks to the players about the same things. And it's a certain routine that they have to try to get into with consistency. It was a great week. They came out on Tuesday with a lot of energy at practice. You could tell Kyson Brown, who uh, didn't even really play in the game, uh, noticed him and some other players were running through the end zone, sprinting through the end zone. There was a very uh, clear, asserted effort to show that they were trying to to make some changes in terms of how they approached, you know, what they were trying to get done, how they executed, and all those different things. And then you saw on Saturday, Elijah Badger gave gave great effort. Um, we weren't able to speak with him. He declined to speak with us during the week, uh, but he was obviously very focused and dialed in on Saturday. Um, was ob- his usual self after the catch, but then also did uh, the little things, got in, got his hands dirty uh, with, with blocking. And those were some of the things that we had yet to see from him. Uh, Jalen Conyers was a lot more physical, um, it seemed, and had a lot more energy and investment, it felt, in the outcome of Saturday's game. And now it's more, more or less about trying to sustain that it's easy uh, after a win, easier after a win to take some of that momentum um, into the next week. So I'm not necessarily concerned about where they go uh, in the next seven days with with um, what they've been able to build in the last week. But they also have some tough opponents coming up with uh, this Utah team, UCLA and Oregon. Uh, they've got they've got some good. Um, they're well coached, got good defenses. And uh, it's going to be an interesting challenge to try to see through, um, you know, some of the struggles because it's going to be there. You know, they were better against Washington State improvements. They're going in the right direction, but that's going to be difficult to, uh, you know, on the same level, replicate against some of these other teams. So um, the extent to which they can uh, understand Dillingham's mindset that the win is nice, it makes it more fun on the day, but also ultimately is not what they're going for in his first year as head coach. That's going to be crucial as they go through the final weeks of the season. Chris, let's go ahead and go over to you. Yeah. A uh, very good conversation. I, I think another part of this that's really important is the coaching staff's ability to look at themselves and be adaptable. Um, and, and especially like contrasting that that against what we saw from the Herm Edwards era, where losses piled up and a coach comes into the press conference, me- meets with the media, and says, "I told them they need they should have been more ready. That this could have happened." And you know, it was like you are the person who has to show everybody else that accountability matters and and that everything starts with you at the top. So what I, one of the things I really like about Kane Dillingham, and frankly, there's a lot 
of things that I like about him. Uh, it's crazy that you have a two win football team in uh, the doorstep of November. And I've been very impressed uh, because I, I, I just think that he's so introspective and he's so con considering of what things he could have done better and why and how uh, they, they need to evolve or change. And, um, you know, there's been so many examples of this. Like he comes in after Washington and is like, I never thought about putting more defensive players working on our field goal unit because I've never been on a team that did that with more than one guy. And then, you know, he makes that, that change. Um, the, the, this team was put very much behind the eight ball because when you're a, a new coach and you're an offensive guy, you come in, you install your scheme, and then you get a sense of what your players can do. And you, you uh, sort of lean into the areas of the playbook that, uh, that work best for the guys that you have. Well, they, they did this, but then they had all these injuries on the offensive line and their quarterback situation became totally different once they lost two of their three quarterbacks and really even all three for a short period of time. And there came to be a different understanding of what their personnel needed. And, but you're in the middle of the season and that's so hard. And so the ability to, to, to adapt, they, they look, this offense right now looks more different than a month ago of any team that I've covered at ASU that I can remember in terms of their style and what they're actually doing and running and the concepts. And I just think that, and they're actually, and they actually executed at a high level. That's hard to do. And, and uh, you know, the other part of this is they don't have a lot of like procedural penalties. They seem very well they had more penalties in this game than they than than typical and they, than, more than they should have, which okay, gotta gotta watch that. But I just feel like they're actually well coached. Like this is like a really well coached two win football team, if that even makes sense. And um, and and what they've done also, as you guys talked about, is they got the players on offense to start to play with more of a purpose and more intensity and it and it a pride of what they're doing. That's what it's, this is about. This is about people respecting you, the effort and the care with which you do things. It's not about the results. If you make it results-based, only results-based, you're, you're going to self-limit your potential and you're not going to be able to uh, summon everything that's needed to, to kind of make that happen. You need, you need to focus on small victories, be, being ultra competitive in everything that you do. And then that becomes who you are. And then when, when, when you are that person, then you win as a natural progression. And we talked about this on the post game show, Ethan, obviously this is a repeat for you, but um, that manifests in all these different kinds of ways. And so I just feel like we're, we're looking at a, program that is rapidly uh improving they 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 showed it against washington even though they lost they showed it in other games this year that they lost but now they're you know not turning the football over more balanced creatively with what they're doing still uh fearless and aggressive on defense and quarterback play better 
And all of a sudden, oh, look, they're, they put together pretty good performances. If you just, let's say you didn't know their record, you didn't know anything, and you just watched the game, and that was it. And somebody said to you, okay, how good is this team? It, it's hard to reality, but my eyeballs looked at the game and I, when I rewatched it closely, my, uh, my eyeballs said that's a six or seven win team. Not to this point. I mean, in a season, in a season, that's a six or seven win team. So um, they're not going to obviously get there unless something shocking happens <laughs> in the next month. But, uh, but they have made very clear, consistent, steady progress that is the most important thing. And I think they're actually, uh, they've been very well coached. Before we move on from the offensive discussion, just want to give you guys a chance to add anything else in that you might want to. So we'll go ahead and go back around the horn and go to Jake. I just think the the biggest thing for this team is, you know, Noah kind of said earlier how it's not really a concern maybe of like where they're going to go and like where their head's at because it's a win and it's, you know, better just to win football games, right? But I think the big thing is, now that you've had the game where you've you where it seems like you've taken accountability and you've fully executed, how do you respond when you face a really good Utah team this week? A team that is, you know, one of the best defenses, um, definitely in the Pac-12. Arguably, you can make the case for the country as well. Uh, I know they just let a bunch of points to Oregon and they got their teeth kicked in, but it's a team that if you look at uh, throughout the throughout the season on defense, they're a solid team. So how does this offense kind of respond to that kind of adversity where they're playing a really tough opponent? Um and they're they're kind of have to battle, and it's not going to be, um, you know, an easy an easy game. So that's kind of where I'm looking at is where do, what's the next step? How do you continue to make this the standard and build upon this? So you when you look back, you realize this wasn't just like a, a one and done situation, and it's something that they actually built to something bigger and better. No anything else on the offense from you? I just want to maybe emphasize this a little bit more. Um, getting the Carlos Brooks back healthy has been extremely, extremely important for their backfield. Um, obviously, there's a lot going on the, uh, around them that plays into how successful they can be on a week-to-week basis with uh, with the ground game. But, you know, he, he returned against Washington, looked like a completely different player um, as opposed to, you know, some of the earlier games that he played before his injury. And he has basically matched Scadaboo's energy. We we have written stories. We've talked about Cameron Scadaboo, how he embodies a, a certain sort of um, aggressiveness, you know, as a runner and and even you know as a you know as a emerging leader on this team, an FCS transfer who's come in and sort of tried to set that tone with how he uh, how he runs the ball. I think the Carlos Brooks now. Uh, to a you know not to the same extent as he did before has has been able to pick up um as as the second string guy look looking like someone who can actually be a starter honestly for this team they're they're two guys who have been um you know showing really good results recently and um I think that's a good sign for them go back to Chris well how about the offensive line I mean patchwork group They've had a lot of injuries but you'd have to say they, they had a good performance in that game and they're and they're clearly 
progressing. We we talked a lot about Washington State not being very good through the middle of its of its defense, def- de-tackle linebacker. That's okay. That's part of it. They have pretty good ends though. But I just I just feel like the experience that some of these guys are getting is invaluable. Sean Naa playing tall. Nobody expected him to be out there at all. He's starting, and he there's a lot of things that he's doing. You got Joey Ramos. He's kicking over to play right tackle. Guy's not a tackle, but he he's getting it done. I I I think um with Cade Briggs fighting through uh you know a, a meniscus issue in his knee and not being a hundred percent and Isaiah Glass coming back from injury, he had some very good blocks, uh, including a, a nice seal on that sixty-six yard run. And the other thing is, how about um all four ASU tight ends having a, at least one catch? Uh, I think people have waited for the sort of emergence of, uh, of this group. We talked a lot about them in a positive light and then maybe didn't materialize to the degree that we expected that it would. Um, but we're starting to see it. And to Carlos Brooks, yeah, he looks fresh legged. Um, but if we go back to what Jake said earlier about the run game, I mean, running backs are kind of running backs. Yeah. Some, some games you maybe hit a hole that another game you might not, or, you have a little bit of more juice, uh, more pop in your legs or whatever, but really it's everything else that enables your, your running backs to, to go out there and, and be successful. So um, we've, we've, we've harped a lot on ASU having a lot of bad offensive performances and players not, not competing, not being physical enough, not executing at a high enough level. The leadership talked about a lot of it, but we've gone on a very extended amount of time here talking about a lot of positives because their play really warranted this. And so I hope that uh, people are paying attention that we're giving them their, their uh, fair share of positive uh, um, commentary when, when uh, they, 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 are putting together this type of a performance. Going over to the defensive side of the ball, Cam Ward, we knew he was going to be a threat coming in, and so did ASU defensive coordinator Brian Ward, as he uh, mentioned in practice leading up. Uh, you know, he'd rather not see uh, – or he'd rather see Caleb Williams from USC rather than see Cam Ward back there running around. So we saw how dangerous he was on the ground because he had two rushing touchdowns. Uh, 35 yards on the ground. He was 35 for 50 through the air with 315 yards and a touchdown. Uh, so he made his presence felt. But in the second half, Chris, as you mentioned earlier, ASU able to kind of set up that defensive surge and uh, flip the momentum of the game. Uh, so, Jake, kind of your just biggest thoughts on the defensive performance here. Yeah, I mean, this is a defense like we kind of said all season that they're a good unit and it's going to get the job done when you need it to. It's going to execute. I mean, they held after giving up, uh, you know, 21 points in the first half. They held uh, Washington State to six points in the second half. And that's the flip of a switch. And then, and the this like like I said before, this is they got the support from their offense, which was the first. So I think the big thing that I saw in the second half that kind of led to the field goal to the two field goal attempts rather than the touchdowns was the defensive line getting active, getting into the into the pocket, and really working together as a group. Uh, there was one play in particular that kind of stands out where Clayton Smith um, forced uh, forced Ward to step up pocket uh, once he got off on the outside. And as he stepped up, it was – and Hale said 14 quarterback hurries throughout the game, able just to affect the quarterback in that aspect as well. So it just – to me, it comes down to pressuring Ward and making him, uh, you know, as uncomfortable as he can be 
Um, although, of course, you'd have still have a solid performance. Um, and that, that to me, is what kind of allowed them to have that second half success. No, your thoughts on the uh, defense in this past game? I'm not too sure what exactly changed from first to second half. I think they just kind of stuck to it. I mean, the, the one thing that stands out to me about this defense every week is that, um, you know, if, if we're interviewing defensive players on any given Wednesday, um, pretty much every single one of them is going to mention 111th at least once. Like, uh, you know, it's my job as a reporter to try and have them express that in, in different ways, you know, depending on the, the circumstances of, of that game week. But that I think that just shows you how Brian Ward has got them thinking, you know, and very invested in that collective um, mantra, right, that all you have to do is focus on what you have to do, and that is going to serve uh, serve the unit as a whole. Um, so I don't think they, they really panicked necessarily. Cam Ward was extremely impressive in the first half. Uh, obviously <laughs> he was a lot more effective than had been in, in previous games and, and really kind of showed his upside, um, where he will be in the future, probably on an NFL team somewhere, uh, if I had to guess, but, but even with that, they came back in the second half and continued to stick with uh, their game plan. They had hurry uh, four, 14 quarterback hurries, which that jumped off the page uh, stats wise. Um, and then you had, you know, everyone contributed, you know, it wasn't just BJ green, Prince Dorba and Clayton Smith. Those are the main guys. And by the way, they're really good, but Ed Woods, um, you know, on the final drive, he made some big plays, had a, a touchdown saving tackle, uh, on third down and then had the the pass deflection on fourth down to really seal the game. Um, and, you know, that it's all those little things chipping in, uh, you know, different guys contributing that has allowed them to, you know, sustain success, uh, success this season. So I just feel like they're all very committed and they're sort of very conditioned to think the right way that a defense needs to a good defense needs to. Chris? Yeah, I think uh, Cam Ward was fantastic in the first half. Um, just the, the play extension ability, the scrambling. Um, ASU played more, a little more zone, and they uh, rushed three and four guys a little bit more in the first half. And then as the game kind of uh, played out, there was the one – Touch, I think it was Ward's third touchdown, um, which was the last of the, of the first half that ASU dropped uh, eight in the coverage. And he put the ball just threat right through the middle where like three guys were within a half a yard or to a yard of the ball. And it was just it's such an NFL throw. No, there's no doubt this dude is going to be playing in the NFL. I The only for me, the only question is um, when does he get an opportunity to start? He will start in NFL in the NFL, I think. And maybe if he does well, maybe he sticks because um, he's got a very good arm, presence, feel. He's got to get a little bit better. There were opportunities where he probably could have identified blitz and and got some checks and done a few different things that that um, that, that could have worked. I think Brian Ward out chess matched 
uh, Washington State in the second half, got dialed up the aggression, brought a lot more of that A-gap stuff. They, they're much better when they play man coverage. This was a game, a lot of people aren't going to really think about it this way, but uh, uh, because Ward threw the ball, he completed 35 passes in the game and had over 300 yards. But guys, think about how many of those passes were completed outside the numbers. The, you know, I saw one stat that said that ASU's cornerbacks gave up six catches for 31 yards in the game. And um, very early on, I thought, okay, Ro Torrance, he had a shaky couple performances. And you got D Ford, he's coming from Austin Peace, five seven, five eight. They're gonna teams are gonna really pick on and with some success on these corners. And it just did not materialize. They had a very good stretch of games. Um, you know, the uh Ro Torrance had that one breakdown on the fourth down that cost ASU uh a win, I think, but uh Colorado, right? But but other than that, I mean these guys have put together a stretch that's been very impressive. And then Clayton Smith, he had the 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 leg injury stuff that happened that kind of derailed what looked to be a a a very promising season for him. But he's out there, got had a sack and a half. ASU's run those two man twist stuffs up, up front with their four man pressures that have gotten home quite a bit. Uh, I think BJ Green has looked fantastic, and um, just the the overall tenacity, physicality. The, the the identity of this defense is so clear and Brian Ward's done such a good job. And then Kay Dillingham is, you know, he's just talked about wanting to keep this guy around as long as he can. And it's, it, it, it makes so much sense. The contrast really Ward coached Washington state's defense last year. They were really good. Top three, top four, in most categories in the PAC 12. Now you look at Washington, they're in the bottom three or four in most categories in the PAC 12. Yeah. They lost some players, but Ward did it with average at best to below average players in the Pac-12. And now he's doing it at ASU, where ASU's in the top three, top four in a lot of categories with average, I would say average-ish, maybe a little bit better than average players in the Pac-12. Um, and uh, there's no reason to think that these guys will continue to play well, not just next game, not just the next month, as long as Brian Ward is coaching in Tempe, he's going to have a really good game plan and approach and get guys bought in and and intense intensely ready to compete at this level. So again, quite impressive, especially getting that they got that stop, the, the goal line, fourth and uh, uh, goal at the two uh, stop to kind of ice the game and, and uh, prevent Washington State from scoring a second half touchdown. It was really impressive. Yeah, so building off this now for ASU, four games left, two road games upcoming, Utah and UCLA. Uh, so just want to get your guys' thoughts on what you feel the team could do to improve in that uh, stretch of games and uh, maybe what opportunities they have here uh, as they come down the stretch in the season. Go ahead and go uh, to Jake. I think uh, just one area that can it's, – it's kind of hard to pinpoint an exact area um, where they can improve on just because it's coming off of a game – where it's they put together a complete 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 performance. Excuse me, I uh, kind of threw the on offense, defense, and even on special teams as well. So, I guess if if there was one thing that you had to kind of pinpoint on, it'd probably just be you know 
the offensive line and just seeing if they can continue to build with their with that combination because they're going to be getting guys back. Um, you know, probably these next few weeks and they're going to have rotations coming in. So how do they kind of still have that success with some guys that they maybe didn't play with these pre and these last two weeks coming back and thrown back into the rotation. So that's probably one thing I can, um, you know, circle on the, on the list. No, how do you think the team can keep improving? Well, it's kind of interesting. I think um, we, we had already, we've already touched on the, the sort of dynamics that they have to, uh, maintain to you know keep getting better keep progressing have that sort of mindset but in terms of the opponents that they have left on their schedule um it's a curious thing because you have utah and ucla coming up those are road games so those are going to be tough inherently but utah and ucla don't have very good offenses really uh you know very good defenses but asu's got a good defense and you just you have to think that, you know, the their ability to keep it close in, in some in these matchups um, is, you know, it's pretty reasonable to to expect that. Um, don't know, you know, when it when it comes down to it against the Utah team, it's that's really well coached, have a strong identity of, of who they are. Uh, I, I wouldn't predict that they they win those games, but they stay competitive. Uh, they, they probably well, if they upset Oregon, that's going to be a, you know, rushing the field moment. So I wouldn't even put that on, on the radar right now. Um, working to the Arizona game, Arizona's been kind of up and down. Uh, they've looked really good at times, but they're they're coming to Tempe. So I just feel like there are games where they'll be competitive. Um, I think looking at it holistically, if they come out with one more win, you know, it's a three-win season after everything they've been through with with the injuries, the self-imposed postseason ban four days before the opener, which I hope people don't forget about because that's still just such a bizarre way to open uh, your your debut season if you're Kenny Dillingham as a head coach. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of things that they've had to sift through and figure out. Um, three wins is, is a pretty pretty good start. So I feel like that would be – Something that is is within reason, uh, essentially, is what I'm saying. I don't know that you know multiple wins would be fantastic, um, you know, from from where they stand right now. Chris, gonna go ahead and go over to you here. Yeah, you go back to the beginning of the season, and three wins would have been very disappointing. Um, the way that it's kind of unfolded, they're being last in the country in turnover margin, turnovers gained in the first six games and having as many injuries as they've had and losing all the, all every close game opportunity. That's how you end up in that situation. I, I just think that um, as Noah said there, Utah quarterback position, shaky, a UCLA quarterback position, freshman, you know, uh, sort of up and down so far. ASU's defense is quite good and even on the road should be able to have impressive performances that allow for these games to be close. Um, if you're close and you play a lot of games that are you know, one score games, the odds are you might win, might win one of them. You know, they've already lost, uh, you know, they lost to Cal, Colorado, uh, Washington. They were all one score. Uh, Oklahoma state was a two score game that I think, you know, it was played more like a one score game. And um, 
they very importantly are showing that that competitive drive and spirit that I think can get you over the hump in some of these uh, types of games. So I don't know how likely it is um, that they beat one of these teams, but I think they have a, a, a good overall, reasonably good overall chance of winning at least one more game. And um, most importantly is again, that they're getting better. That's it's not really about record so much this year. Um, it's about how much better can, uh, how much better a version of yourself can you be? And how does that help the team and the collective? Um, this has been a, I asked Dillingham about this earlier today in the Monday press conference. And because um, I, I think that's something we're going to be needing to write about, but he, this guy's had to have learned so much this year as a head coach from having to adapt, having, he talked about having needing redundancies, you know, planning for the worst case scenarios and kind of being ready for it. You know, you guys remember, may remember before the season, he talked about um, you need to have like eight linemen who that you can rely upon. And I'm thinking to myself, most teams are going to have six or seven at ASU in the first year at best uh, of a staff. Well, they ended up needing what 10, 11 offensive linemen. It makes it pretty damn hard. Um, so I just think that the, the learning that's been done here between that, the injuries, quarterback situation, yeah, um, recruiting to, to what you're trying to do, being adaptive, the adaptability, uh, um, and, 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 you know, doing that as quickly as possible when you see the need to, so many of these things are very positive developments. And I see coaching staff that, uh, is led by somebody who's very willing to consider, uh, and and uh, seek self-improvement in a way that then kind of permeates everything else that you're trying to do and shapes the culture. These things are positively developing. Don't know what the record's going to be, but I think that they are on a good trajectory regardless of whatever their final record ends up being. Thanks so much, Chris. Great analysis, guys. And as always, thank you to the listeners for joining us once again. ASU and Utah up next on the schedule. We'll be back with a premium preview podcast later this week. But until then, that'll do it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For Noah Furtado, Jake Seymour, and Chris Cartman, I'm Ethan Tuttle saying thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.